2: Podcast, which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game and brought to you by frontline gaming your one-stop shop for gaming mats terrain gw product paint commissions and so much more this show would not be possible without them and if you're new to chapter tactics here's a brief summary about what this podcast is essentially chapter Tactics was founded on the idea that there were not a lot of competitive 40k focused podcasts in the community. Uh, Obviously, that's untrue. There are a lot of podcasts that do focus on the competitive side of the community or the competitive aspect. However, I found that not a lot of them focus purely on just competitive 40k. Uh, A lot of the ones like TFG Radio, for example, focus on competitive 40k, but they also talk about other things. They talk about pop culture, they talk about kind of what they're doing, games, Um, and just in general... It, TFG Radio, which is a good podcast, and I do suggest you listen to it, um, in general there are not a lot of podcasts like TFG Radio, uh, like Chapter Tactics Now, that focus purely on tactical gameplay, the tournament scene, and talking to top players in the community. Uh, there, Of course there are more podcasts, uh, but that was at the time of this, po- this podcast when it was founded, that was primarily what this was about. Now... The podcast has since morphed into uh, something a little bit different, but still along the same lines. I do like to report on tournaments. That is something that I will continue to do right now in January. There are not a lot of tournaments going on. There are no tournaments to report in this episode specifically, but the point of this episode is to show you guys both where we are going in the future and what this podcast is all about now, as well as the announcement of my co-host, which I think is a pretty big deal and you guys are all looking forward to hearing about. So this podcast, tournament results, always, all the time around the year, come here for tournament results, for the top lists, for the top players, see what people are running, what people are winning with. There'll always be a thing. that will be evergreen forever. Also tactics, specifically general fluid tactic talk uh, there there will be some episodes where we talk specifically I, I will in the future talk about stif- specific phases and tactics in phases and how to dominate in those phases however I like the idea of bringing on a, a knowledgeable guest you know someone who who's at the top of their game someone who attends these tournaments who talks about sp- specifics tactics specifics and just get the information from it organically I, I feel like that's always the most fun I've had talking about 40k with other people in the community is after tournament talk uh, where people talk about you know what they could have done better what they could have done worse um, meta analysis you know what what lists they're afraid of what lists they want to see what lists their their list can beat, etc etc it's a lot more organic talk and that's kind of primarily what I try to focus on in this podcast we also like to talk about codexes and the meta uh, now if you're wondering what the meta is essentially the meta is the standard or the game within the game in 40k. So if you think about it, an example of a meta is you have your game of 40k. You have your Tyranids, your Space Marines, your Eldar, etc. There are mechanics in the game, dice rolling, measuring, terrain, etc. And when you have another friend, uh, let's say you and a buddy are playing and you guys both starting off and you're both learning the game. Uh, But your your buddy starts to bring something uh, a little bit harder. Maybe um your buddy's playing Space Marines and you're playing Tyranids, and he starts bringing Tyranid War Veterans or something harder to counter your Tyranids, and you end up start you know you end up losing more, and so you build something to kind of counter your friend, uh, and then that kind of builds up. And so now instead of just playing the game of 40k, you guys are now making your lists with each other's lists in mind. That's a meta game, and then once you throw in another person, uh, that That will warp everything, and then when you add more people, tournaments, communities, etc., you get a large meta. That's something that that rings true no matter what the game is, and that's something that people always try to fish for, and people always try to understand, like I said, no matter what the game is. It could be pro football, chess, 40k, Magic, The Gathering. Take your pick, there is a meta there, I guarantee it, and there is people there that are trying to learn that meta and use that to their advantage so that they can win and do well at events. Because that is ultimately what competitive 40k and what competition is about is results, uh, winning, doing the best you can. Maybe not winning large events uh, because there are people who who focus more on winning themselves and, and personal accolades versus winning large events. Uh, so that that could be you know something. Like a, someone who wants to see a particular list do really well. Maybe uh, th- they're Necrons. And if you listen to some of my other episodes, you know that Necrons right now in 8th edition are not the strongest faction. So maybe they want to win with this specific, unique list of Necrons they want to do well, uh, as opposed to someone who wants to bring the best possible list and it doesn't matter what faction it is, and they want to win, they want to do really well for their own self-gratification. Both ways of enjoyment are okay. So w- whichever side you fall onto... It's perfectly okay, but it's all about competition. And the way you make yourself better is by learning the game, learning tactics, uh, learning the meta, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why I say that this podcast is for everyone. Uh, it you, you know, it's it's tactics across all levels of the game, from the highest comp- competitive level, top eights, top lists, to the garage level, to the you playing your buddy in the garage, barely learning the game, and you want to step up, because ultimately, when you're playing the game, if you don't enjoy the game, you will eventually move on, and you will go somewhere else. I understand that there is a hobby component, and I do promote the hobby component. I love people who take the time to learn the fluff, to paint, and to promote that side of the hobby. However, there is also a gaming component, and that's where I choose to put all of my time and invest all of my time into. Because if you lose all your games, you could have the prettiest army ever, and I see this all the time. You know, people who have these gorgeous armies, and, and and they they love them, and they always talk about how great they are and how how much they love the lore behind this army. They're you know you know their specific regiment of guard. And they just never play them because they, you know, the army's not very good, or or because they don't like they don't win games with them. So so they'll play them maybe once every other month. Um, but when they do play, maybe they play someone who who's just better than them, or maybe they play someone who's who's got a stronger army than them. And then that can take away from their overall experience because, believe it or not, y- you know, from the highest level competitor to the basic person who's just trying to have fun, we all on uh deep level want to win or want to execute our plans and do well and enjoy ourselves. So we maybe don't necessarily want to win the game, but we want to have good competitive games, not blowouts. Blowouts are not fun. When you get blowouts is when you don't know what you're doing and when you you are unprepared for the game. So that can lead to blowouts. And I'm just trying to prevent blowouts. I'm trying to prevent people from having unfun games of 40k and if it's something as simple as hey make sure you're moving your full distances make sure you're you, you know you're lining up lanes and shooting lanes standing in shooting lanes you're preserving units until the end of the game or whatever whatever reason is whatever part of your game that will make you better and make you enjoy more games of 40k that's what I want to hone in on and that's what I want to make better for you and that's probably why you came to this podcast so uh, that's pretty much it for 2018, I would like to, I would like to definitely move on to more of basically everything I've been doing. Uh, I want more tournament results. I want more statistic analysis. That's something that's been very vacant and something that you see constantly in other games. Uh, I'm going to go back to Magic: The Gathering, for example, because it's the easiest example for me to use. But there are data analysis, there are lists guides, uh, their their list databases on Magic, tons of them. Uh, You can go on Magic the Gathering, uh, Google Magic the Gathering, go into the tournament scene, you can look at what the top players are running, you can look at who the top players are, you can look at their match percentages, their win percentages, how well they do against other players, what colors they're running, what specific deck archetypes they're running, etc., etc. It's a lot harder to do with 40k. And that's just because of the nature of the 40K community. The 40K community is not as built around tournaments as the Magic community. Now, that is slowly changing. However, it's not changing rapidly enough so that we have statistic analysis. But if you listen to my last episode, episode number 50, right at the end of the 2017 year... I talked about statistic analysis and uh, events from over 7,000 different tournament results, over 4,000 different ITC tournaments. And we talked about what factions were winning, what factions were losing. It was the kind of statistic analysis that I would like to continue and replicate in 2018. So I'm gonna bring you guys that. And finally, I want to focus more on tactics. I I know I mentioned earlier that chapter tactics was founded on the idea of organic tactic t- tactics talk. However, I would like to, you know, do a little bit more specific things that people request on the regular, uh, how, you know, uh, rules, arguments, movement, uh, you know, salt phase, just different phases of the game, different elements that people want to specifically learn about. And I agree. I, I kind of want to learn about that too. And I've been kind of shying away from them, but I'm going to move back into them. I'm going to make more episodes specifically to tactics in 2018 for you guys to consume and enjoy. So I'm going to move with that. Now, how am I going to do that? It's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. More tournament results, more tactics focus, more statistic analysis is a lot for one guy to handle. Uh, first, I'd like to make the announcement, I would like I'm going to start accepting sponsorships. Uh, I'm I, I'm very much against a uh, Patreon uh, support. I, I feel like you guys just your time investment and your downloads is enough. So uh, so I, I'm not going to start a Patreon. Um, I feel like I can still do this podcast on the regular on my own time, uh, but I would like a little bit of supplemental income for for the quality of the podcast to increase the quality of the podcast. So I'm opening up sponsorships. Uh, there is going to be a commercial, so I'm not going to take up too much of your listening time on this topic, but there, I would like to start accepting sponsorships and then use that money to uh, maybe buy better mics, um, fund going to tournaments. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm going to... I plan on giving you guys something a little bit more concrete as people come in but this is a very new concept So, let me go know what you guys think if you guys like the idea if you guys don't like the idea and you know you want to call me one big sellout definitely curious whether you guys hate me and hate my content or love me and love my content love getting your emails so second announcement i'm gonna have co-hosts as you guys probably already read in that title i, I, I say co-hosts because originally as you guys might know, I was going to pick one regular co-host. There were a lot of candidates. A lot of candidates fell through with making plans with them. Some didn't. And I apologize if I didn't get to you in time. But I think I found my my co-host choices. And so I decided to go with three people, three individuals who, who have been consistent in the past and whose knowledge... It, of 40k in the community and tactics is something that I think you guys would love to listen to. These are people who have been on this podcast before and they I think they're people who I I know I can rely on. So then that, that's the big thing is is not it's not charisma, it's not, you know, knowledge, it, it it's none of that. It's reliability. I, I wanted reliable co-hosts, people who who I message and who are always there and who I know who love this community and who already set a time a time and part of their lives to promote it and to grow it. So I decided to go with that. The three people I chose are Jeff In Control Robinson of StarCraft Brood War and StarCraft Two Renown. I'm sure you guys have heard of him if you guys listen to my podcast. If not, there is an interview where he talks about himself. It's very good. It's very fun. I also interviewed Val Heffelfinger. Val Heffelfinger is someone who I feel was really dialed into the community aspect of 40k he he knows what podcasters are doing what he knows who's talking to who he knows who's saying what uh he's in the middle of all the trash talk he's in the middle of all the communities he's a great guy to have around he's very passionate and he's been very consistent Uh, i always reach out to him about podcast ideas you know tactics etc whatever life stuff you know it doesn't matter both big nfl fans and he's always been there and i feel like He'd be a really great co-host. And finally, went with Abuse Puppy uh, Sean. If you guys don't know him, he writes a lot of tactics articles. He hasn't been he's he has been on the least amount of episodes out of the three of the co-hosts. However, I feel like he is overqualified. He consistently writes good articles on frontlinegaming.org, where you can read them if you just look up his name Abuse Puppy in the authors tag. You can read all of his articles. He writes a lot of good Tau stuff, a lot of good Eldar stuff, Blood Angels, everything. And he knows his stuff. He knows his rules. And I consistently have people telling me uh, before before I even you know thought about having a co-host. I always had people tell me you should get Abuse Puppy on. He really knows his stuff. I love reading his articles. You know, get Abuse Puppy on your show, etc., cetera, et cetera. Finally got him on the show. I loved him, and I asked him to be a co-host, and he said yes. So there are interviews for Abuse Puppy, Val Heffelfinger, and Jeff In Control Robinson coming up for you guys to listen to. We're going to talk about 2018. 8th edition, and where are they all about, what their gaming philosophies are, where they come from, their backgrounds, what armies they play, etc. Et it's a lot of really good talk. So enough of this conversation. Thank you very much for listening. If you are listening to this episode and you like the idea of a competitive 40k podcast, if you like my voice, if you like listening to any of my three co-hosts, if someone pointed this out this episode to you, please share it This episode is something, an episode I'd like to grow and for it to be an evergreen episode that people can always listen to in the past just so they can know who these co-hosts are and what they're all about. I feel like that's very important. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of times I find myself wondering who these dudes who are talking are. Uh, Half the time I can't even really make out who's talking about what or who's who. Uh, So this episode is meant to give you guys a clear guideline of who is talking, what they're about, whether it's Jeff, Val, or Abuse Puppy. Anyways, guys, enough of your time. Email me, FrontlineGamingPDPab at gmail.com. If you like any of the changes, if you just want to talk tactics, if you have any listing queries, rules, questions, I accept all of those. I love getting your emails. And on to the interviews. Are you looking for an event to go to this February? Then look no further than the Berry Bash. The Berry Bash is a warmer 40k tournament that happens on the last Saturday of February in Berry, Ontario, Canada. If you are looking for a reason to visit Canada other than tasting maple syrup and fighting moose in one on one combat, the Berry Bash is the place for you. They have a hard cap, so get your tickets quickly. Also, while you're at it, give Scardcast a listen. Scari hosts the Berry Bash every year, and it is always important to support tournament organizers and community leaders so that they can keep producing the content and events that bring everyone in this hobby closer together. If you're interested, there is links in the description on FrontlineGaming.org. Here I am with my first co-host, Jeff In Control Robinson. Jeff, if you don't know who he is, uh, he is a frequent visitor of Frontline Gaming. If you go into our website, you see him in the comments section every now and then. Uh, He is on Facebook, he is on Twitch, he is on YouTube, he is uh, literally everywhere in the 40k community now. Um, He's a 40k competitive player, Uh, he goes to tournaments, and I feel like he is probably someone you guys would love to get to know. So, Jeff, say hi to everyone. Well, hello everybody, and thanks for having me, Pablo. Uh, thanks for being a co-host, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I, I could use I could use the fan, the um, the star power, so to speak. Mm. Uh, you can be you can be my uh, if you listen to San Diego radio, my my Billy Ray Cyrus. He's a football player. No, San yeah. Diego Charger. Okay. Anyways, you get my point. Uh, anyways, I've got some questions for Jeff. We're gonna interview all three of the new co-hosts. That that I talked about at the beginning of the show, just so you guys can get to know them a little bit better. Um, we're starting off with Jeff. Now, Jeff, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Maybe let, let them know who the real Jeff in Control Robinson is. <laughs> um. So, yeah, as you said, I'm kind of all over the Internet. That's because my main job and kind of what I do for a living is I'm a former professional StarCraft II player, gone gaming personality, which means... My bread and butter and kind of how I spend my day is streaming on Twitch, uh, in-control TV, where I play mostly strategy games, a lot of like XCOM, StarCraft, StarCraft 2, But then there'll be some Total War games. There'll be some stuff like that. So a lot of the RTSs and just strategy games. And when I'm not doing that, I'm traveling around the world, um, commentating or broadcasting on behalf of Blizzard for their competitive StarCraft II circuit called WCS. So this year I'll be going to Montreal austin texas and spain Uh, and then that all culminates in the championship at blizzcon itself which i've been doing for the last about 10 years Um, outside of that though my hobbies include things like warhammer obviously where i i agree with you i consider myself a competitive player or something a a little bit obsessed with it um this year frankie and i in particular really want to travel around a lot so we are all booked up for the most part to go to the london gt i can't remember what it's called it's like the london championship or something like that It's the london gt yeah oh i nailed it there it is (laughs) um other than that so i'll I'll go to like nova loved it there always go to lbo always go to the the big california ones very fortunate to have such an awesome scene here um but the drive this year is to make it out to some of these other ones i want to go to minnesota or you know a couple of these like really cool tournaments that are in these otherwise kind of random states but just have great scenes and great competition and really dive into it. Um and then other than that I just read a bunch, play a lot of video games and hang out. Nice. And, and that's actually one of the real I'm glad you you highlighted it. It's one of the real reasons why I I went to Jeff uh almost immediately after I decided I was going to get a co-host is not only his announcer experience and his charisma uh but also, you know, he he does travel to a lot of these big events and I unfortunately don't. Uh, I, I'm a competitive 40K podcast, and I feel like you, you should at least have someone, you know, regular, semi-regularly, hmm. who, who goes to these big tournaments. And, and the London GT um, is is no slouch. It's a over 200-person event. I believe Zach's already hit 200 people pre-registration, um, which is crazy. Uh, obviously, Nova, the Las Vegas Open, War Games Con, all of those are, are big events that are well-known, and Jeff goes to them frequently, uh, so that's that's kind of one of the one of the reasons why I'm really excited to have Jeff on board. He can be our color commentator if he needs to be. We can also be our analyst, our on the spot pro player, quote unquote, the guy who yeah. you guys can really emulate. I feel. Um, now, Jeff, tell us a little bit about uh, 40k, how how you got into it, um, what army, and obviously you're a very big Tyranid fan. Um, but you know a little bit about your 40k background yeah sure so um for me it dates back to when i was 12 years old or there in there in parts i had come into contact with warhammer a couple of times but just knew it as like a miniature thing but it really sank in when i was at my buddy's house my best friend growing up and his older brother had some i can't remember exactly what i saw I think i think he was a dark angel player back then i think he had like a badass chapter master maybe a dreadnought and i was like what is that he says oh it's warhammer 40k and he started showing me some pictures and some white dwarfs and stuff like that and i and then when i saw the terranid models i immediately fell in love with that old metal hive tyrant i think it's really really cool looking and especially as a kid i was just like well i'm i'm doing it so then it became this and and it's funny because i think a lot of people have this kind of origin story with warhammer 40k but like you know, I'm, I'm a 12-year-old, and I didn't I didn't grow up in uh, Trump's basement or something like that. I don't have a bajillion dollars, so <laughs> it was more of a, like, I mowed some lawns, and now I can buy a box of jean stealers, or it's my birthday. So I got that big uh, Carnifex kit, you know, and, and it, it kind of trickled in that way. But in doing so, it really lit the fire of, like, loving what I was getting. Like, every new kit I got, I dived into the rules, and I... We were playing these like uh, basement games where, you know, now we talk about 1,500 points or 2,000. Back then we talked about like yours looks bigger than mine or whatever, you know. <laughs> like, terrain was a shoebox or something, but it just it just really sunk in and we really loved it and it kind of grew from there too. We started making our own terrain. We had a board that we put on top of their pool table they had in their basement. One of my friends played Dark Angels or Dark Eldar, excuse me. Then there's Dark Angels. Then my, my best friend played orcs. So we all kind of did different armies, and we all played with each other, and it became this big social, awesome thing like it is now. And and that love just kind of kept going. But when I went away, when I went away to college, like for a lot of people, the game kind of took a backseat. Um, and it wasn't it was not until I was a professional StarCraft II player in Arizona, living there, that I was like, you know what, I want to buy a bunch of uh, Warhammer and get back into that. So I bought my entire Terran collection basically in one fell swoop. It was like you know two thousand dollars worth of boxes and put them all together. Uh, I'm a God awful, horrible painter. So I painted them all black <laughs> and then pussyfooted footed around for like six months, not wanting to put paint on them to ruin them. And then I eventually reached out to this. And then I actually moved from Arizona to California, reached out to this company called frontline gaming that was recommended to me by somebody on Twitter and, uh, heard this like smoky, what I thought was a morbidly obese voice on the phone named Reese Robbins. And he said, yeah, we'll, we'll paint your models. And then I go in and I see this spelt, silver fox, balding, you know, lizard of a man. And it turns out that the rest is history. Nice. Uh, if you've ever met Reese in person and you've heard him uh, on a podcast, <laughs> um, you, I, I don't think I've ever heard a story where where the person hasn't been surprised at all. Yeah. Yeah. But, the voice he, does not match that body. Not, not at all. Um, but so that's really cool. So that, and that's that's great that that you were actually were brought into frontline gaming that in that way and reese actually tells tells me that story on the regular as if i'd never heard it before um <laughs> you know about uh you know jeff with his with his twitter followers showing up you know like yeah, i've got all these twitter followers and um and that, that's really cool it's kind of a cool thing we, we mention every now and then at frontline gaming and if you want to know more about jeff uh I highly recommend a specific video on his YouTube channel in Control TV. Uh, it's uh, the the name, the title of the channel. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff. Is uh, your e- evil geniuses or EG time with EG history video? Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's not only a, a good video with a lot of insight into competitive gaming, um, because you know Jeff was around at the start of competitive gaming for, for Blizzard and for StarCraft and for Brood War. Right, he he was around there, and he calls it you know the Wild West of gaming um, at the time. And it, as as you explain it, Jeff, it sounds very much like the Wild West, uh, but it, yeah. it's it's just it's got a lot more stuff about Jeff, um, about his gaming philosophies, um, the history of Starcraft, uh, and Jeff's you know Jeff's personal, I guess the evolution of Jeff, and um, it kind of kind of you know opened my eyes to to how you can really make yourself you know, a, a personality in whatever game or whatever thing that you want. It's pretty cool. I highly yeah, thank you, it. Pablo. Um, yeah, uh, so moving on to gaming philosophy, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, there are different gaming philosophies in the world, right? There, there are people mm-hmm. who believe in tournaments, strictly tournaments. There are team people. Uh, there are people who don't believe that you should take games seriously, et cetera, et cetera. Um, just let us... You know, let us know a little bit about your gaming philosophy and your competitive gaming mindset. Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's actually kind of funny because you know, speaking of Reese, uh, I'm a little bit notorious for, I would say, my gaming philosophy because uh, he and I, whether he wants to admit or not, are actually very similar in a lot of ways. Um, when we play Warhammer and kind of where we come from with it and really where we come from in terms of competition and gaming in general because that is tends to be our form of competition – Uh, We're very, very driven and competitive about it. So if I play a game, um, like one of the best analogies for me is like playing poker, you know, uh, Texas Hold'em poker for free with no money at stake or something like that is one of the stupidest things I could waste my time doing in the world because there's nothing at stake. There's no urgency. There's, you know, all in. What do you got? Jack two offsuit. Oh, okay, Here we go. You know, like that's not fun or, or, or cool to me. Um, same thing with Warhammer. So when I play Warhammer, the most fun I have, and I, I, I legitimately get an adrenaline rush, and I, I feel good, I love the the drive of playing against another competent, strong player, but not too strong because I really want to win. No, I'm just kidding, but uh, <laughs> somewhere in there, is from competitive Warhammer. And that doesn't mean I think that it's the purest, best form. It's just for me personally, it's what I really enjoy. So oftentimes when I'm playing the game, I'm very furrowed brow. I'm very, you know, squinting, partially because my eyesight's terrible, but also because I'm thinking real hard. I'm kind of quiet, and I'm just trying to do everything I can to play as good as I possibly can. I also, as a bit of a seasoned veteran, because I'd call myself a, like, five- or six-year-now competitive player, um, I'm I'm much more better about making my opponent comfortable as well. Like, I'm not the kind of guy that, like, stands across from them and is like, wow, this guy looks like he... Wouldn't appreciate racial jokes, so I'll start saying these and really throw him off his game or something like that. It's nothing like that. I want them to have a good time too, but my ideal game of Warhammer is two people trying as hard as they can to beat each other while not cheating, while having a good time, and while being socially comfortable. That's like my ideal situation. Um, so when I sit there, when I when I play Warhammer, that's how I have the most fun, and and that's where I say recent uh, the, the notoriety that occurs here is that um, Reese is a little bit more of a trickster. He definitely, you know, kind of emotionally leverages himself. He definitely makes some jokes, but then he'll also, like, kind of complain about something while secretly having this strategy that might win him the game if you're not paying too much attention to it and buying into his sob story too much. Um, So we're we're kind of a funny pair that way. But at the end of the day, we both really want to win, and we play really hard to do that. Um, And that throws some people off, because you'll go to a Warhammer tournament, you'll play some people where they're like, hey, man. Listen, these are just dreadnoughts. I'm just here to hang out, okay? And I'm over here like, all right, well, what's the armor value of that dreadnought? They're like, yeah, okay, hang on, you know. Mm-hmm. So di- different thoughts. <laughs> well, you you came to a competitive 40k podcast if you're listening to this podcast, so I imagine you heard, uh, you know, pretty much what you wanted to hear or what you would expect yeah. out of someone, you know, of Jeff's background. Uh, but and that and that's I I feel like it's important to to have people in the hobby like that uh you know jeff jeff isn't someone he's not a a dirty neck beard who you know whack (laughs) who who wants to drive people away from the game um but jeff you're very much an intense player and that intensity comes off in when you you know in your conversations about 40k and and, um, playing the game uh specifically you know if we're talking about something that's bad or that's good uh you know, your, passionate, your passion for winning and your passion for the game is something that translates into tactics and into knowledge that people want to hear. Uh, yeah, perfect. and if I, if I could just add too, it's kind of interesting because in the competitive scene, I think there are, and I'm not uh, looking down on this or anything like that, but there's people who specifically want to win and the army or the tactics or how they get to that isn't really, you know, the, there's like a little bit of flavor there. They care a little bit about it, but it's mostly like, how do I win? That's the most important part. And again, I'm not looking down on that, but for me personally, I have a giant Admech collection and a giant Terranids collection. Um, and then from that, I've got, you know, five or six knights. I, I have my Warlord Titan because I fucking think the Warlord Titan's the coolest thing in the world. And then I have some other stuff, but for the most part, that's it. And that, and it's because I didn't like collect either Terranids or Admech. Cause I was like, this is it. This is the future of Warhammer. This will be the best ever. It's because I was like, holy shit zombie robots and giant robots is amazing and then with terranids that's like everything i love about sci-fi but you know alien lore it's it's of course bled into being zerg and starcraft it's anyways it's all over the place that's my favorite stuff so from that i try to win and i try to create lists and i try to i have my thing i like big monsters i like you know that kind of stuff so I'm, again, I'm not saying that to make myself better than others. I'm saying that because that is also very important to me. Like, if you see me as a competitive player, I'm a competitive Terranids or Admech player. I'm not a competitive, like, I didn't borrow Eldar from my friend, or I'm not piecing together Imperial Suit because that's the, the flavor of that month or whatever. You'll never see that from me. Okay. Which um, is a little bit different. It's a little bit interesting, I think. It, that is interesting. Um, you know, while we're on this subject, uh, what, what are your opinions on Eldar? I think they're cool. I think they were um, underrated in a lot of ways. I feel like people were pretty down on them because they were definitely very powerful in 7th and, and and powerful in a different way, too, where, like, um, they could have some pseudo-invincible units or they had some units that if they hit you, you just died, right? Like, uh, like Wraith Guard and stuff like that. Like, if that got out and just shot you, you're dead. Mm. Um, and, and that was kind of like the Eldar way. It was It felt very one-sided. So in 8th edition, it kind of took some feeling out and some balancing because, It needed to be that way because if Eldar takes any damage, with them all being for the most part toughness three, you know one or two or three wound count models, they're gonna they're gonna die, right? And they're not really the kind of race to like trade out with people. So it took some feeling out, but now I feel like the kind of cool balance that they have is they have really dangerous weaponry, which is the Eldar way, but they're harder to hit. They have a little bit more defensive values. They have some. They have probably the most powerful psychic powers. Or at least close to it, behind uh, the chaos stuff, um, and, and they're they're different, but they're fun, I, I find. Other than of course what's all over the place right now, which is dark reaper spam and, and wave serpents or um, towers. Well, shoot, um, I was going to ask you about what you thought about them fluff wise because I believe you played Protoss. Um, yeah. And and uh, you know you, you struck me as a very not Protossy player, but you you came off with you know with this big like fluff focus, like I've got these Warhound Titans and I love these Tyranids, and I was like, well, then why did you play Protoss? <laughs> but instead, I got uh, an insightful analysis <laughs> on a faction. Um, so that's what you get with Jeff. So, you know, I'm a try hard. Me. I'll give you the serious <laughs> answer. If it's if it's not overtly a joke, I'll probably re- read it as yeah. uh, a very serious question and then go as following. Well, I, I think the folks at home got something better than a, a cheesy Pablo <laughs> joke, anyways. So we're good there. Now. You mentioned Eldar uh, in Eighth Edition specifically, so I think that's a perfect segue to get into yeah. the second part of the interview. Uh, how many editions of 40k have you actually physically played through? Yeah, I would say I get to claim Fifth Edition and onward. Um, like I was saying earlier, I definitely played before that, but it was like reading the Codex and then creating our own game of Warhammer, kinda. We didn't we didn't go to shops for the most part. We didn't do any tournaments at all. Um, but fifth edition was my entry point. Reese kind of took me under his wing and, and taught me about competitive Warhammer. And I went to that first LVO with, um, a fifth edition Terranids list. And Goat Boy absolutely crushed my soul. That mean, mean man. Uh, he, he took, <laughs> I think it was, uh, oh, he's a mean guy. He's just a big jerk out there. He actually wrote an article recently for Bill of Lost Souls and mentioned how he wants to get his Slanesh back on the table to kill some yellow and black Terranids, which is, I was like, well played, Thomas, well played. But he and I – anyways, I, I'm completely going off on a tangent. But um, it, yeah, so 5th edition onward is what I get to say. Okay. Uh, Which edition was your favorite to play in? Good question. Um, I have – and, and you'll, you'll all kind of read, feel this way. I love talking about Warhammer, and I'm very long-winded, so sometimes you can just tell me to shut up if you want. But uh, my answer would be I probably liked 7th edition the most, but Uh-oh. my, my – piece of shit, little bit of everything answer is I liked seventh a lot, but I'm enjoying eighth more because more people are positive on it. So like seventh edition, you almost had to play apologetically. Like people are like, oh, I hate that. You know, Oh my God, you just rolled a six on your stomp. Like this is so fun as they're picking it up. And I'm over there like secretly inside. I'm like, ee, I'm so happy. But outside I'm like, Oh man, I know. Isn't that shitty? Ugh. So sorry for that. And, you know, I I ran Warcon and I did a lot of demon summoning and stuff stuff like that. I think it might have been one of the absolute best lists I've ever made, but um, it was also one of the highest powered lists. So if I played any kind of middle table or lower type person, they had no fun at all because there was nothing they could do as they're getting blasted and destroyed and drowned off the table. Whereas in 8th edition, everyone's more positive. Everyone's excited about it. New people are coming back. I go to tournaments, I'm seeing a variety in lists, I'm seeing a variety in armies, I'm seeing new people, and everyone generally, like, even if they get bopped, they're like, ah, gosh darn, well, great game, man, that was really fun. You're like, this just like a much more positive feel. So if you put a gun to my head, I would say I'm liking 8th the most for the most reasons, but 7th was really cool because I went into every game thinking I could win, whereas an 8th, you know, if I get some bad terrain, if I'm going 2nd, and I'm facing a certain kind of couple of lists, it kind of feels like there's not much you can do. You're just gonna die. And you know, that's an interesting point that you bring up because I, I feel the same way about seventh. Um and I I felt like seventh edition, I enjoyed seventh edition more. Um but seventh edition mm-hmm. was more like unapologetic, you know, fucking ass balls to the walls, crazy, powerful lists, right? Like yeah. like these lists will stomp you into the ground. You've got these Death Stars, these powerful combinations. Um, and if you're not running these lists, you're you're not competing. Um, it was the competitive players edition it, it it, was, if you were playing just to go to a tournament you were going to have a bad time yes and, and eighth edition um it feels very much you know brought back uh it kind of reminds me of uh if you played or watched mlg halo 2 back in the day um oh, yeah. which was very glitchy you know very very cutthroat um you, you know it was just it was it was a very it was just a very, very competitive game i feel um halo 2 but when you know when when I played Halo Four for the first time, it, just, it felt very. Uh, I think the the term my friend gave me was new lubed," um, <laughs> which is maybe a bit derogatory. Not not what I'm calling eighth edition. Um, but Halo Four just it felt very beginner friendly. It felt very easier. You know, the the aiming was a little bit better. The sensitivity was toned down because I play in max sen- sensitivity on any first person shooter games I play, no matter what the game is. Um, so I just, it just felt very. Very brought back and very simplified, and um, and it was cooler and flashier. But Halo 2, if I ever went back to Halo 2, I you know I just I'd need to develop a specific skill set, uh, BXR whatever, right, to to really dominate and win in Halo 2. Um, but anyways, that's the difference I felt in seventh edition and eighth edition, um, and I think eighth edition is probably healthier for the game yeah. in general. Um, but that's interesting that we're both competitive players and we both think seventh edition, we both enjoyed seventh edition a lot. Um, whereas I know 7th edition in general was just not well received, uh, but not, it as was bad getting to a edition. ridiculous point. Like the best argument against 7th edition, I think too, was towards the end there, the shit that was coming out was getting pretty ridiculous. It wasn't yeah. like slowing down, you know? Yeah. So I think the bloat, if it kept heading in that direction, I think we were definitely going to hit a point where even you and I, would be a, uh, in other competitive people that thought seventh might have been you know more up their alley. It was going to get to a point where it's like, all right, this is kind of stupid. But yes, yeah, I agree. With the, the the I think it started with the triumvirate. I don't, I don't want to say it started with Magnus, because um, you know there was a point when when Gene Silver Colt came out, mm-hmm. uh, and the Curse of the Wolfkin, and you know everything was kind of you know chilling and it was pretty cool. And the Magnus came out and it was like cool Primark, um, and then. I think it was Nari and the triumvirate when things hit the fan pretty badly. Um, yeah. But, but yeah. But anyways, GW did the right thing. They they started a new edition. They stopped it before it could get really bad. Um, and here we are in 8th edition. So I kind of already got your opinion on 8th edition. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your predictions and directions for 8th edition in 2018? Where do you think GW is going to go with the new edition? I, I am mega stoked. I'm really excited. I feel like each Codex um, has its ups and downs. I, I do want to, you know, I don't have a a cup of uh, some expensive alcohol, but I would pour one out for Death Watch. I think that Codex was a gigantic floppy, flippy noodle. No, it's not a Codex, excuse me, it's not out yet, but what they have so far is just so poopy. It's so bad. Um, but in general, moving forward, I'm... Really excited about how thematic a lot of these codexes are. They really feel like that army, which is, I think, something that across the board makes everyone happy, um, even the the hyper-competitive people. Like, I'm playing my Terranids right now, and I feel very Terran-y, I, and I can, right? I, the different high fleets is, like, fluff-wise, obviously a little bit silly, but um, competitive-wise, it makes a lot of sense. And then for the people that, like, really get down and get get in on, in, on their army... It just gives them the ability to play different styles and different models. Um, even with my Adeptus Mechanicus lists, like my biggest thing is I field a list of 2K points and I'm like, okay, that's really awesome, but man, I want to use these Electro Priests. I want to use these, you know, these other things. You I think with every codex, for the most part, you have units that you cannot fit into your list that would be so cool to play with, and that's an amazing problem to have. So I hope that that continues to happen, and I hope that. By the end of this year, everyone, for the most part, has their codexes and feels feels like what I feel like with each of mine, which is just that I've got all these options. I've got all these different ways to play it, and I'm really excited about it. And I do think it's going to go in that direction. Um, I, I think the smart money is that there will be a couple of a couple of stinkers. There's going to be some poopy ones, and, and already we've kind of – people will be like, there's got to be. We already have some stinkers. And it's like, yeah, okay, so – There's definitely codexes that are more powerful than others. There's just no question about that. But I still think we're in a better place than we were in 7th in terms of disparity where it was just like you just flat out couldn't play some units. Uh, Even middle or lower tables, it just wouldn't be fun because they would just get shat on. In 8th edition, even your worst units are somewhat playable, so that's pretty cool. Um, so prediction-wise, I don't know if you're looking for something more specific, but that's kind of what I, I'm just very optimistic, very up on it. Okay, so so COVID, more of the same from what GW's done so far in the last six months, pretty much. Yeah, I think, like, and I don't know anything. I, I haven't actually read the leaks on the Demon stuff coming out, but I think it'll be more of the same where it's, like, you would be encouraged to run a corn a detachment and then also have Slanesh or Zinch or whatever, but it's not going to, you know, like, you could run a solo... Uh, slanesh list but you probably are encouraged to diversify i'm seeing that being the common theme, and maybe i'm talking here like jeff actually they just released that they totally want you to play only corn or something like that but it's like until that gets said i don't think so i think even with like something like uh, necrons you're going to see the reanimation uh detachment and these guys hit harder and these guys are way into lich guard and stuff like that and i think you're going to see a lot of people having to diversify their list that way i think that theme will continue Okay, and uh, onto on to the other aspect of Eighth Edition, which is the FAQs and the erratas and the chapter approved. Yeah. Um, coming from a, a video game background, where that that's the norm and that's expected with patch updates and stuff. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think? How do you think GW is going to handle that in the future? Are they going to do well? Are they going to do poorly? Well, one of the coolest things is is they've actually already released a schedule talking about their outline plan in terms of FAQs and um, chapter approved and stuff like that. And I love it. I'm excited about it because the game does need that kind of organic rule adjustment. I think it'd be way I think the alternative is way scarier where they just don't address it at all and then we're all kind of left being pessimistic or they come out and say there will be a chapter approved on the fortnight of the fifth year on the second try. you know, like and it's just like really long forever period of time where you don't get that and a lot of us already experienced that where games workshop was very non-responsive was very hands-off and the game had some ridiculous situations where some codexes fell so far by the wayside you just never saw them or like what happened with my terranids you had to have flyer maybe Molox if you're feeling pretty cool and then a couple other things and that was it and even that became shitty right so i'm happy that they're keeping their thumb on the meta they're they're reaching out and working with public figures to kind of find out where the game needs to go and they've told us that they're going to be very on top of uh updating that and as a secret aside pablo i'm sure i've seen i think i've seen you there too every time games workshop talks about these schedules and faqs and all this stuff there's like 700 angry comments on facebook in particular and i can't have i can't help but just like I'm fucking dying. I'm laughing so hard on the inside. Everyone was complaining forever about Games Workshop never changing anything. And now they're like, and now you just, I just bought 300 Dreadnoughts and you're changing that? (laughs) You son of a bitch. Like I see people dying on hills on Facebook. They're just like, well, this is the last straw. I have to buy two more chapter approves and there's an FAQ that's a digital version bi-monthly. And it's like, yep. That's the guy. That's the guy that was also upset about them never responding to anything. Some people just gotta be mad, man. Yeah, and if you, if you're one of those people, um, who, who not one of those people who who are negative, um, if you're one of those people who are negative, like take a chill pill. But, um, if you're one of those people who who are, go on Facebook, um, or maybe your you you know friend recommended you to my this podcast. Um, and there's probably gonna be people listening to this podcast uh, in the future. Um, so if you are from 2020, yeah. uh, you know, first off you know, how about that election? Yeah. Uh, but um, seriously, uh, you know, don't listen to those haters. Like if you're new, like don't, don't let them shape your opinion of this game, this wonderful game that we've decided to invest time and money, at, you know, into, Um, yeah. you know, form your own opinion, go, go, well, there's plenty of social media. There's plenty of places you can go online um, to get your 40 K fix and to get a good idea of what this game represents. Um, that's great advice i i just want to echo that because i actually find myself too um the online warhammer community in particular tends to be very cynical very angry and that's like at a glance yeah if you go into the people that perhaps wouldn't even consider themselves a part of the on uh the online warhammer community they just are like commentators on facebook or something it's straight up vitriolic and and i'm not even listen i come from starcraft I, i I follow CSGO. I come from online gaming and some of the the fervor of anger I see in Warhammer forty K, I'm not even like being hyperbolic. It's actually more than what I experience in StarCraft and some of these other games. Like the people that come on and get really mad in the way they express it, it's more. So don't just to echo Pablo's sentiment. Do not let that drag you down. It's out there. Those people are going to be angry. They're going to be mad. They're going to say really crazy stuff. But there's a lot of people really hyped up and excited about Warhammer that you can find and surround yourself with. Um, there's some really great communities, and that's what I've been doing. Um, yeah. Generally, generally speaking, posting on Frontline Gaming is very good. There's a couple groups on Facebook where it can get pretty down and dirty, but like at least there it's moderated, so it doesn't get so shit stormy that you are stuck in it. Um, but if you just if you're just like, well, I actually just post on Warhammer's. Uh, their actual community page—it's like some of the things people say in there, dude. It is crazy. Yeah, and that's one thing. I, I if GW is listening, um, which actually GW, uh, I know you're listening. Um, you know, I would maybe say moderate a little bit more some of the stuff. Um, uh, but you know, that's just a small little piece of advice. You don't have to take it. You're a big billion-dollar company um but there's there's definitely more venom and hatred in the warmer 40,000 official page than all the other pages um uh, mm. you know i've just personally from my what i've seen um uh, but you know ultimately they are the the vocal minority the 0.001% of people yeah. right because if you if you were to go in any given post um if about 40k and count up all the negative comments even if it was like a thousand individual people talking absolute shit you know compare compare that to how many people play the game and how many people you know uh post regularly about 40k and it's, it's nothing it's like one percent nothing so yeah yeah eh, there'll always be haters haters gonna hate yep so that's it uh that's pretty much it jeff is there any is there any final things you want to say to the listeners of chapter tactics uh, just that I'm really excited moving forward to have an outlet to talk about competitive Warhammer 40K. And, and one of the things you talked about, Pablo, that I am excited about as far as contributing is I do plan on traveling and really going hard on Warhammer 40K this, this next year. The last couple years, I've definitely done a lot of tournaments, but not as much travel. It's just like Nova LVO and a couple of other things for the most part. Um, but in particular, Frankie and I, and we're, we we plan on attending ATC with the team as well and, and just really getting a full taste of uh, what 40k has to offer in 8th edition and i'm excited to talk about that on a regular basis and share it um i will be so just my own opinion i'm not as familiar with val but he seems like a great guy so i'm looking forward to getting to know him better but as far as sean is concerned sean is the guy that you guys need to ask specific questions and you need the bifocal scientist answer and reply to uh, cuz he will fucking deliver that in spades. The guy, the guy knows the game really well and uh is really fun to discuss on that level and then I will give you my opinion and I will give you my experience and that's what you can kind of expect from me. Yeah, and uh, Sean is Abuse Puppy for those of you who are a little bit confused. Uh, he goes by Abuse Puppy most of the time. I don't think I've ever actually called him Sean. Do you just think, call him Abuse Puppy all the time? I think I think I do. Yeah. Like that's that's what I just Fair call him enough. Abuse Puppy. Yeah. But uh But yeah, so that's a very great point, Jeff. Thank you very much for making that. Jeff is our tournament guy. If you guys want to hear more from him, uh, I will post our co-hosts' names up in every episode. So if you're excited and you want to know who's co-hosting, I will put them up. And also, if you found the link to this podcast episode, please, please share it with everyone. This is an episode I want to keep going to introduce you guys to all of my co-hosts, in both in the in the future and right now. Uh, Jeff, thank you very much for coming on. We'll see you guys next with Val. Okay, and we're back with our second co- Nope, not R.
1: Why not R? There's no ro- Royal we.
2: This is easy. This this was easy. I did it all in one take with, with everyone else. Um, it's the morning. That's what it is. I'm
1: making you nervous. I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big deal. Yeah, I know. I mean, I Jeff Robinson, <laughs> <but> whatever. <laughs> all right, all right.
2: Okay, guys, and we are back with the second co-host of Chapter Tactics that I have chosen, Mr. Val Heffelfinger. The reason why I chose Val is not only because he's a great guy, he's really funny, I think he's really charismatic, and he doesn't give himself a lot of credit, um, but also he he's probably – one of the top community people uh, in 40 K right now. Um, he's very, very important to the podcast community and the media community. Um, he's got his, his sneaky Canadian fingers and, and all the Facebook chats and groups and, and message boards and everything. So he knows what's going on. He knows who's recording what. Uh, and that's because he is a podcast enthusiast um, per his words. So Val,
1: Say hi to everyone. Hello, listeners. How are you today?
2: They're doing great. Whatever day of the year it is, whatever year right. it is, I'm sure they're doing absolutely well, hopefully.
1: I, I, I also hope everyone out there is doing well. I think, Pablo, um, perhaps you emphasize some things that are correct about me, other things not. I'm just a guy. Uh, perhaps the most Canadian co host. Certainly, least qualified, but I will tell you what I will make it up with enthusiasm and hopefully insight at times.
2: Nice. So, Val, uh, my listeners probably listen to a couple episodes of yours already. Um, specifically, our ITC statistics episode, which has been blowing up. Uh, they know about you as a kind of as a 40k guy, um, but what about you, like personally? Like, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you come from?
1: Where, where do you come from i've come from Toronto, canada that's where i uh, that's where i grew up and was raised went to a uh, university pretty close by to here um you know i've i've traveled i spent a lot of especially extensively in the united states uh, i am in finance uh, so that's maybe where i get my love for spreadsheets um so yeah that's kind of where i come from uh, as far as my like uh, you want me to talk about my gaming where I came from
2: yeah whatever you want to talk about man
1: yeah so I mean on on the 40k side of things I originally I think a lot of people like a lot of people I had exposure when I was very impressionable I want to say like 12 to like 18 ish I was playing 40k quite a lot especially in the summers with my pals in the basement and uh but I kind of dropped it like a lot of people do when uh I was trying to build a life for myself and go to university and trick a mate into uh settling down with me so uh I guess somewhere around three years ago now, probably two and a half years, about the first year into in a seventh edition, I was um, enjoying or actually not enjoying my first ever grown up like PC gaming rig. Had a job. I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna build the best PC rig ever. It was like a dream of mine forever. And I was playing Battlefield 4 at like top settings, and hmm. I was instantly dying like every <laughs> single time. spawn and get shot face. Like, no one could eat bullets better than I did on um, Battlefield 4. I would watch – this is where I discovered what Twitch was. I was watching some YouTube videos. I was actually doing a lot of the things I've tried to do in 40K to get better. But uh in 40K, like, I feel like I've made some progress. In Battlefield 4, I got worse. And I was just le- – at-, at the end of every night, I was basically taking my headset off and being like, this fucking sucks. Good God, I hate this. And then I said, why am I doing this to myself? Which I've asked a lot of people who play 40K. Why are you doing this? And so I said, i got to find something else. wonder what's happening in 40K. Worst question I've ever asked Google. I saw things like the Dacajet, which didn't exist at the end of, uh, in the middle of third edition. The Stompa. Hilariously, all the things at the time that people were really upset and complaining about just instantly captured my imagination, and I just got sucked down this rabbit hole to the point where 40k like probably some of your listeners has just become my like it it has become my spare time you know like the the thing i want to watch stuff about it's what i want to read about it's what i'm you know i i've created an alter ego on facebook so i could join all the groups i wanted without weirding out my own friends and family so like it's (laughs) it's uh kind of a an all-encompassing thing and i'm and i'm really into it one of the things i really particularly love aside from the game and the way that captures my imagination is this really. I've never really been involved in like a tight subculture, if you know what I mean. Like you talk a lot about like I uh, used to play Pokemon. You were involved in the magic scene. And all that. I've never really been part of a fandom or like I don't know, like just sort of a like its own like subculture, which is Community. what the forty. 40- yeah, like a community, subculture, whatever. Uh, which is what 40k or games workshop in general is because people who like it, like it a lot. And I love observing and taking part in a lot of the conversations about like, how do you play this game? What's the best way to play this game? I love seeing how people react to new things as they drop or evolve. Um, I, cause it's, to me, it's such, it's such a cool thing and very analogous to you know, real actual life where important things happen, uh, except it's just toy soldiers. So I can, i I've, I found myself, I've learned a lot of, I would say like, real life skills. I've made a lot of uh, real life connections and insights through my obsession over this game, which I think is pretty fun and cool.
2: Nice. And um, so when you're playing the game, or or when you when you're playing, when you started playing Battlefield 4, and you got your rig, um. You know, and you're you're trying to harken back to the Val Heffelfinger garage days of old, uh, back when when life was a lot simpler and gaming was definitely a bigger part of your life. Um, yeah. What what what's kind of like your gaming philosophy? Like, what do you get out of a game? What do you what do you enjoy out of a game? Why do you, why do you think people game? Why do you game?
1: Um. So I, there's a a PDF book uh, novel I read. Um that kind of actually put towards something that I'd felt for a long time and it's called, uh, uh, playing to win, which is about, uh, competitive gaming specifically. I recommend it. It should be required reading for anyone who's into this podcast. Um, you can, you can Google it. I'm sure you can find it for free, but by all means, chip the author a few bucks for the PDF. Um, but, uh, yeah, so in play to win, he basically talks about, um, how games are, um, a, a wonderful world to experiment in. And I've always been obsessed with games. So like if, and usually it's strategy games or something with moderate skill. So for years I was, uh you know, hyper obsessed with golf. I was uh, also really, really obsessed, obsessed with fantasy football. I'll still play both, but much less, uh, you know, uh, intensely gotten better at both as a result, by the way. Um, but uh, so like games to me are, are, are unlike the real world. They have limits. Right. So in real world, uh, you know, there are, uh, basically endless variables. There's, there's endless, uh, you know, combinations and possibilities. And that can be overwhelming. And I think that happens to a lot of people, uh, where they're kind of overwhelmed by the, the broader world, the scariness of it, or just the opportunity of it. In a game, you know, your options are narrowed down. And so you can play within that box and make decisions and push the envelope of that game, uh, and figure things out in that game in a safe way. And I think that's kind of what in play and when he talks about the appeal of games and at in the beginning and uh that really resonated heavily with me. So games to me are are, are a place to experiment, to really compete with somebody, put my ideas in direct competition with somebody and know that no one's going to get hurt, you know, and know that um we're just playing a game and that we can we can push those those boundaries. And at the end of it, shake hands and still be friends. And that's what I love about games hmm
2: that's that's beautiful, and that's actually a really good read too i uh, I highly recommend it as well um so as you're as you're uh you know thinking of these winning combinations to uh beat your opponent in a healthy way uh what armies do you play do you use and kind of gravitate towards uh to fulfill that need
1: so i think um one of the concepts of of a playing to win is you know you shouldn't. First and foremost, if you're playing to win, if that is really your objective, that you, you know, you don't limit your options, right? So in, the one thing I do love about 40k is that we often are self-limiters because of the factions that may or may not appeal to us. So for me, when I came back to 40k, first and foremost, what I did was I rebuilt my WA, uh, now called WA Two Chains, um, <laughs> that's named after my War Boss. Two Chains is my War Boss. <laughs> um, and, uh, after that, um, I got really heavy into buying and selling minis to sort of supplement my <laughs> supplement my ability to to meet my voracious appetite for them. And in, uh, when I discovered tournaments, I realized orcs were not going to be a lot of fun, unfortunately, because I, they didn't have enough moves. I wanted to still play something a little not top tier because. I don't know why. That's just what I wanted to do. So I went to Tau. So I actually competed at the LDO last year. And in most of my events with Tau, I've got a really nice um, seventh edition collection. <laughs> we'll see how uh, Codex changes what what is good. Uh, but uh, great closet full of minis that I'm not really using anymore because I'm really not that into them. They're more like a set of golf clubs to me. You know, like it was more uh, the army that I thought was the most appealing in last year's meta. Uh, and then outside of that, I got armies that I have just cause I think they're fun and cool. Like I've got, uh, gray knights and I have a never ending hobby project, uh, that are, um, Elysians. So as I was buying and selling, um, a lot of guard lots, um, a lot of them contained a lot of really beautiful old Forge World Elysian models and I amassed this beautiful, Legit Forge World collection wow. of, of like all the Elysian flyers, like so all the, all the, uh, Aeronautica flyers, I've got Thunderbolts, I've got, uh, uh, what's the big, the Flying Fortress thing? Ooh, oh, come on. I don't know. It's the, it's the, it's the crown jewel in my, my, my resin collection, uh, but the, uh, uh, Marauder Destroyer um i've got uh you know vultures and all like all the flyers because flyers were the thing that really actually did bring me back into 40k so i thought they were so cool so i have this air cav awesome elysian army that i've always been meaning to paint next but i keep getting caught up in in chasing what i think the best unit for orcs is so that's what's had my attention lately
2: (laughs) nice nice i never even knew you had an elysian army you,
1: yeah, and they're good too. They're oh, they're, yeah.
2: they're pretty good. I, I I like the I just like the idea of Elysians. Like they're they're basically yeah. like kind of like the U.S. like a, the modern military, but in 40k. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, well, they're air cab. They're like air and yeah, you know, air, air yeah. yeah, and I I like the way the the way Eighth Edition changed how flyers work. I think makes them less. Of a bolt-on to the game because they're sort of unified. They do have some difference in how they have to move and all that kind of stuff, but they interact fundamentally the same as all models. Uh, so it's 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 a little bit more like running a tank company now, mm. uh, whereas before you were really running a weird thing if you ran all elisions. So I, I really really do like the way Eighth Edition took the the flyer rules and kind of you know like everything sort of made it all part of the same unified rule set.
2: No, it's definitely made everything a lot easier. Uh, so. Speaking of 8th editions, good segue. How many editions of 40K have you played through, Val?
1: So I've played, I I guess the first edition I ever touched was 2nd edition. The first game I ever played was against a a friend of mine who I've lost touch with since and never actually played much 40K with. Uh, It was 2nd edition, um, like the cardboard orc uh, dreadnought versus the, like, pack marine standing with the bolters on her chest. And it was literally the starter box set. Like, two kids, I think we were like 10 or 12, no, it would have been 12, like I said before. Uh, and, uh, I remember thinking, um, how impossible it was to kill something with a 3-up armor save. Like in that, like, test game, cause, it, you know, you had, like, orcs with, with pistols. And there, <laughs> I was like, how, cause he just never failed a 3-up, and I just thought, like, 3-up armor save impossible to beat. That's what I remember from my first game. <laughs> uh, and then from there, you know, um, I, I, like, again, I had the bug pretty hard, but, you know, you're a kid, and in those days, just like now, although it I don't know. It depends on what kind of a kid you are you know it would be uh hard to build up a collection so actually my first batch of models were second hand although i i kind of forgot that uh and it was an orc army blood axe orcs uh second edition models tiny rhino all that stuff and then uh, when gorkamorka came out i built uh gorkamorka came out and then left and then all the hobby stores cleared their gorkamorka stuff so i bought all the gorkamorka bits so my first army was really made up of a lot of like these cool uh, Gorkamorka, Mad Max orc, Mad Max orcs, uh, which is kind of that aesthetic, by the way. And maybe people don't realize, like modern orcs, that sort of like rusty ramshackle look, uh, kind of came from, was established during the Gorkamorka phase. Hmm. And then third edition drops, and that's when you get that really sort of the more grim dark style orcs. Before that, they were a lot more freewheeling, a lot more clowny. Um, used the same weapons as as uh, as like humans did and all that kind of stuff, so that 's where you get the grim dark orcs and I love them even more and I got into those guys and then uh, those guys got put into a box until uh, about twenty what would have that been 2014, spring of twenty fourteen um, and it, to this day there are there are five or six burnas like pewter burnas, and I think four mega knobs that I have for my original collection and they 're in Active duty, so they actually see the table today, nice. which is fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. so- oh, and two knobs. I, I, I redid two knobs for Warzone Atlanta. Uh, the uh, 1999, 1998 Games Day knob. Uh, he's a he's a really cool guy. Again, from and then another one from gorkamorka They're tiny now, so I put them both standing on like ammo crates.
2: Okay, so so you said 2014. So you didn't actually play Fifth Edition.
1: That's correct, actually. Oh, wow. um, so I had no, I had no concept of. I, I, I remember we popped. So like me and the guys who used to play, I'd say like somewhere around third year university, I had a job where I was uh, like sweeping trash around a mall. It was one of my favorite jobs actually. Cool. And uh, and for again, that was the last time like 40k kind of popped into my mind. And I think that was the beginning of fourth edition. So we did, I, I did actually own the fourth edition rule book and I think we played maybe a game. We like got some compressed air. We dusted off our terrain literally. And I think we might have played a game and, uh, but that would be the extent of it. Um, and literally didn't, uh, didn't really get deep back into it until, until seventh. So when everyone was like, when there was a lot of salt around the game, I think I missed the sixth edition thing, which I think was a huge turnoff. I've subsequently kind of got an idea of what the, flow of it all was. The Dark Ages uh, of 40k? Yeah, it was interesting, because, like, when I left the game, Black Library, like, Gaunt's Ghost had just been released, right? Like, so Black Library was a baby thing. Forge World was on Imperial Armor 1. You know, like, all these things were just really nascent, so, like, I came, come back, and they've all actually developed and kind of waned, in in some cases, like, a lot of the Forge World stuff, um, and to me it was all just brand new. Imagine, like, you didn't pay attention to 13 or 14 years of releases and you come back and you're like, holy, like literally hadn't seen a picture. And like, so it just blew my mind. And like, I was so excited. And as I like, as I started to wade into it and, and discover just, like I was coming from this place of pure enthusiasm, like, holy shit, you know, because like, I I finally let myself do it. Like there have been wanted to do it. And I was like, no, that's stupid. It's going to take all your time. It's a waste of your time. But I really wanted to. And I finally said, okay, fine. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, I'm going to own a, I'm going to own it. I'm going to do it. I've only semi owned it, but nonetheless I've been doing it and it's been so much fun. And I just ran into this world of salt and I could and I was I've, to this day it mystifies me because I came to 40K in search of a better game. I think I found it. And like I find like anyone who's like super and like you know irredeemably salty about you know minis and and playing 40K like go find another game. Like there's so much good stuff out there to do yeah. that'll capture your imagination, and like, like it's it's not that like I don't want them around or anything. It's just like I just feel I feel bad that they're so miserable about something that you know takes up so much of their time. You know, like you you can you can find stuff that you love. Go find it. And uh, anyway, so yeah, that's why I, I like so sixth edition I missed, which I think is really that's the moment where you know GW goes dark. They don't they they stop interacting with the community. They release this really gong show rule set. Um, they seem to realize that because 6th is the shortest lived edition I think and I think what happened after that was that they reacted with uh, 7th and dropped that but 7th edition itself is sort of like a here you go figure it out type rule set they didn't support it with FAQs till the very end Um, and it was meant to be you know sort of a I think ultimately a narrative style thing they didn't want to be involved with their customer base and they kind of go dark and so this is very different than the GW I knew growing up, growing up, which was, had a heavy retail presence. And I realized also that at, in my time away that GW had basically contracted. So they, they closed, um, you know, uh, they used to have distribution and corporate, uh, presence in Canada. And that was centralized into, uh, I think into Tennessee. So they closed Baltimore. There's all this restructuring that happens and GW really contracts away from its, its, its customer base. So. That was a little weird to me also from a finance perspective about how they treated clients. So it was really cool when we, when I basically joined, there's a, a I get, I get six months of old GW and then I start to see the, the thawing of, and in the approach of how Games Workshop was dealing with its clients and its customer base. And, uh, um, you know, just from a, a business perspective, it has been really fun to see, um, GW make that turnaround. And also I think one day, Maybe it, it'll, it'll, it, it might be considered a case study in how you, um, re-engage with your, with your, your customer base. Especially like 40k is really bizarre because GW actively hated it. Like actively hated their customers. Didn't want to talk to them. Like, um, sneered at them in, in, in like notes from the board. Um, they were really agnostic about, about the people who supported their game. And I think they got exposed. They were basically people who were not familiar with internet culture, got exposed to it and were disgusted by it. And said, that's not who we want to be selling these things to and just tried to ignore it. And they've seemed to now have uh, an approach, which is quite the opposite, which is understanding how to engage with internet culture and discourse and how to win, um, I think, uh, you know, sort of that charm offensive that, that, uh, that, uh, how to win the, uh, I don't know, the editorial space. And I think in a lot of ways they've, they've, they've very cleverly um, by handing out free sandwiches all over the place have started to, uh, to really influence the taste makers out there in a positive way. The good news is, is that we're talking about toys here. You know, <laughs> we're talking about a, a, a game. This isn't insidious in any way, shape or form, but they are doing a much better job of, of marketing and controlling their message, managing their message and getting their, um, you know, their influencers the products fast so that those influencers can be the first ones making comments. Not someone who's leaked it to DACA Daca, perhaps the most toxic thing i've ever had to read through, so you know it's 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 uh it's been a really cool thing to watch from that perspective again again, getting to that thing where I really love the whole the whole like this whole ecosystem I find super fascinating
2: yeah and it it's it's funny because is if you look at you know you talk about g w and their change and their transformation um from a kind of like archaic You know, company with all these draconian, you you know, policies, um, you know, morph into like a a new age, you know, hipster Facebook company, like, like all the rest of them.
1: But, good? I compare it, I I compare it to, um, so when the internet first happens, right? So the internet basically has, like, any, any, uh, business model the internet touches, it blows up, it destroys, right? And a lot of people assume that about tabletop games too. Who would want to play with toy soldiers when you can play Battlefield 4? Right, that's right. essentially the question. It makes no sense that Games Workshop could survive in this environment. Period. Um, and so, when you think of how did how did how did those original business models react to the internet? You take the example of Napster. So, like Napster comes out, gives away something that used to cost 20 bucks to buy, you know, 10 songs, gives it away for free. And how do they react? The first thing the way they react is they sue the shit out of Napster. So you have the Metallicas and all those guys, uh, music labels. They're trying to shut them down with litigation. This rings a bell, doesn't it? Anyone infringing on the IP of Games Workshop in the last ten years has been hit with cease and desists, has been hit with lawsuits. They're trying to hold on to their old school distribution style. Um, now you flip it. So what what did what did the, the, the companies that have actually prospered in the Internet age do? Well, they, they embrace the, the way that, that the Internet can both share their message and distribute their products. So now you have, you have something like the iTunes model, which is you're going to get it for cheaper, so uh, and you're going to get it in a much more convenient way, and you can do it legally. And you can get it straight to your phone. You don't, you, everything's going to be managed in one spot and suddenly people can buy music again at a fair price and they're going to do it even if they can still get it for free if they jump through some hoops. So games workshop, I think has gone from being the first version, which is the way you fail. You know, that's the way you, uh, you know, become a dinosaur and, and this becomes like, uh, model trains. And they have now become more like, um, uh, you know, uh, depending on who you talk to, you know, they may or may not have seen the light completely, but they're definitely making a lot more positive moves for getting the product in front of more people and considered by more people. And that's by using their social media presence to amplify their message, get people keen about the game, telling their friends, getting people back into it, um, by loosening the restrictions on, 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 on their, on their retail chain, on their, sorry, on their, um, Guys like Frontline Gaming, what would they be called? Uh, I'm blanking. Pablo, help me. Anyway, you know, like uh, retailers, independent retailers. Yeah, there independent
2: retailers. Yeah.
1: So, so the fact that they brought back, again, most people wouldn't care about this, but they brought back web carts. And they also didn't say that you have to sell for retail. They said you can take 15% off the MSRP to a maximum of. So, but now again, there is, there are so many more channels where people can get the product and can buy their stuff. And there's just much less restriction. they've freed it up, and they've they've allowed people to talk about it. The more people talk about it, the less people are afraid to share things um the The less that you know people are afraid to like participate and push forward the game, the more people are going to play the game. more people are going to buy their things, more people are going to read their books, and you see this. they can't keep their products on the shelves. They've actually probably ignited a uh something that they did not respect that they actually had i know I know markets didn't think that they had it like you watch this i uh, in the uh, recap for frontline gaming i do i would sort of give a little snapshot of the of the share price in the last year but it's really the last 18 months to 2 years um their sales have just really jumped far beyond their own or ex- outside expectations and they're a publicly traded company and the result has been that their stock is now i guess in that 18 month period it's probably closer to quadrupled or quintupled um which is insane um and uh, who knows how sustainable it is but suddenly games workshop is um wearing big boy pants and uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens now because yeah. the, the the both the company and other companies will start to look at it and it'll be a question of is this really is this IP viable um because i think games workshop should be looked at as not necessarily a miniatures company which is what the old guard viewed it as but it's an entertainment company It's more like a DC or a Marvel, and we know what happened to those guys.
2: Yeah, Um, I'm I'm personally excited for uh, 40K Avengers, um, where all the Primarchs (laughs) get together and they fight off Chaos, all the Chaos Gods, and it's badass. But I do agree with you. I I, I think everything you said is is on point. Um, And then one quick point I wanted to make before we move on um, is it's also interesting to see how – to look back at how the 40K community – has evolved along with GW, right? So like in sixth edition, fifth edition, uh, well, fifth edition was really, I, I think the heyday of 40 K, um, kind of like the 40 K Renaissance, so to speak. Although I think we're reaching a new golden age of 40 K now, um, fifth edition, you know, they had the Ard boys, GW, GW really like supported tournaments, uh, the community, you know, Daka DACA, the, um, oh, what was the, I, I can't, I'm going to kick myself for forgetting this big tournament's name. Um, Anyways, there's there's a big tournament. What was that?
1: This is all outside of my experience. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, yeah. Yeah, this was this was when you were this was when you were uh, building your gaming rig <laughs> and and dying in Battlefield 4. And and uh as you said, uh tricking a mate. <laughs> um but but uh there's there you know, there's these big tournaments um you know, players are really starting to build up their fame um in this time, right? And then you know, GW just backed out. They're just like, you know what? We're done. Sixth edition happened. Uh, and instead of, you know, half of the community kind of just gave up and like went their separate ways. Uh, war machine and hordes was really born out of this, out of GW's yeah. absence. Uh, X wing kind of took a step in cause star Wars was just kind of starting to get back into it again. Um, I remember around that same time X wing, I was doing X wing demos at comic con. Um, so X wing war machine and hordes, other miniatures games, starting to get their foot in the door. Um, and the 40k community, half of the people, you know, argued and fought about how, how things should be done. And then the ITC developed out of that. Reese and Frankie took over. They said, Hey, we need a standardized tournament format. Um, and kind of the, the pro players and the community leaders moved away from DACA, DACA, uh, and on to, you know, start doing their own thing in the tournaments and started becoming true community leaders instead of forum, yeah. forum leaders and forum trolls. Um, and then it, you know, it, it kind of, kind of grew from there. And now we have this, this era when the community, the 40 community and GW are both passionate about the game and, and in a lot of ways working together. Um, so it's really exciting. And
1: it, it'll be, it'll be interesting because I, and I hope GW respects the, you know, what got them here. Yes. They have, uh, you know, over the years developed and created this really all in like really, uh, I don't know, uh, fascinating and, and, and hooking, sort of it's fucking, it's a lifestyle really, <laughs> you know, the hobby as it's referred to, they've created this thing that really inspired people to keep it alive when they didn't know what they had. And so that, that could, it's like, it's like when a show goes off the air or like a game goes out of print and like there's a dedicated group of people who keep that flame burning and they actually manage to bring it back. And I don't know what, I think ultimately GW chose to re-engage, um, because they had to. They had, you know, many years of, of, you know, middling performance. There were a lot of people like ringing the death bell for them and saying that the company failing. It never, it wasn't failing. It was just underperforming. And I think what we're seeing is that, you know, it's, uh, it is able to perform at a really high level. When I first entered the game and I looked at things like War Machine and, and not necessarily X Wing because it's got crazy IP behind it and a very good company too. Um, but, um, you know, like some of the, some of the like games that were allowed to like come awesome. up in the vacuum of, of Games Workshop. Um, you know, even in a lot of the peripheral stuff too, like gaming mats, like all these things, like I just was thinking like if, if Games Workshop ever just flexed its muscle a little bit, like it, it could just own all of this again. You know, if it ever just got its act together, like this is its work, like this is its playground, right? It's, it's basically seated its, you know, like in the, in a to talk competitive for a second, it's like they just gave up the middle of the board, you know, and they, they just, they're, they stayed in their deployment zone. And, <laughs> and now, you know, we're fine. We're seeing them wake yeah. up to the fact that, Hey, we just gave up our market share, which is not what you do in business. We gave it up and now they are getting it back. And unfortunately that's going to be to the detriment, I think of, of a lot of really cool entrepreneurial, um, you know, startups and things. And hopefully there's enough, hopefully we don't it's not just pure cannibalism but that actually we're growing the pie hopefully and i don't know any uh, i'm sure there must be some some organization that knows the statistics around this but hopefully you know that actual tabletop segment um is growing and so that way there's room uh, not just for games workshop if it chooses to take you know it's 90% market share back or whatever it would have been in its heyday so um yeah that's what i have to say about that
2: yeah um so that was a very sorry guys, very long-winded, but I think there's a lot of really good information in there, um, a lot of good information that that about the history of you know 40k and whatnot. So I I think is it safe to say Val that eighth uh, edition 40k is your is your favorite edition, um, or or seventh edition? Did you did you prefer seventh edition to eighth edition, or did you really like there, second edition?
1: There is some things, um, there hasn't been a moment like this, so I was there for for I was there when <laughs> second edition became third edition and it's the last time this happened where they where they scrapped everything they they had the equivalent of the indexes in the back of the third edition rulebook and then they started releasing codexes the difference is they didn't release the codexes uh all of them in one year um and I know that hasn't been officially stated but I hear on podcasts everywhere they're like well I don't know when we're going to get the co-. look guys I will put if someone wanna give me like I, I have PayPal standing by. I will put US dollars on this. Um that uh you know, we are going to see all all factions updated before the end of Games Workshops fiscal. To me, it's clearly the business plan. If they miss it by a month, they miss it by a month. But um they're gonna have eighth edition fully caught up, which what happens after that? I don't know. It'll be interesting. Maybe we'll have the malign portents thing happening, but whatever. Um, so I think eighth edition by far my favorite just because we're going to have at the end of this year, first time ever, we're going to have actual parody from just like a, a, a current rule book perspective. And also I wanted to dispel another myth that I hear, keep hearing propagated, which is the idea of power creep. Uh, because people are seeing these things being released, you know, consecutively, there seems to be some sort of a concept of, you know, that they weren't built all at the same time. That's insane. I mean, clearly this, this has been designed, uh, holistically. Uh, whether they hit, uh, you know, whether the, they're, they're hitting that, uh, that nail on the head every time is, is another debate. But no, these, these books were designed in concert with one another. And they're being, so you're having an attempt made for the first time ever at not just internal balance, but also book to book balance, which is fantastic. You, in seventh edition, you could see um, a real – and behind the scenes because they didn't – they weren't transparent at the time. We didn't know who was responsible for what. But there was a very significantly different design philosophy between uh the first books of 7th edition, say Orcs, Eldar – sorry, Dark Eldar, um, uh, Blood Angels, um, uh, maybe a couple others, right up until Necrons. And then Necrons comes – so those first books, if you play those armies against one another, they actually they, – they hang. It, it works fairly well. Once you're once you're into the post Necron books, those books do well together, and then you kind of get into the 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 uh, the rise of the Primarch story arc, and that becomes a different version. Um, so so yeah, that's uh, essentially um what I saw happening there.
2: Okay. Um. So so uh, what do you think about GW's direction? Um. So we're gonna step away from 40k for a little bit. Um. what do you think about GW's direction to uh, jump into different games, like like Shadespire, um, Age of Sigmar, Necromunda? What's up?
1: It is absolutely brilliant. I think Shadespire. I've been I've been meaning to get around to playing it, but a game like uh, Shadespire actually uh, expands the potential pie for Games Workshop into uh, a gaming segment that they otherwise would never touch. So that's fantastic from, from, from a balance sheet for Games Workshop perspective. The way that they're licensing, uh, video games is fantastic from, uh, uh you know, a growing the potential client base of Games Workshop perspective. The studio games like, uh, Necromunda and Blood Bowl and, you know, Titanic is coming and all those guys. That's gonna be more, um, probably for the, the traditional, you know, 40k or fantasy AOS set. Those are games that have, I think, probably, if anything, cannibalized their their sort of core demographic, uh, and are usually sort of little side treats that that people pick up once they're fatigued with the core game. So that kind of keeps the that their core clientele, you know, um, with a, with a little bit of variety in it. And they're also fantastic games. But I would bet, for the most part, someone who plays Blood Bowl also you know at one point or another played fantasy or 40k you know what i mean yes those other things are like much like black library are are avenues to getting people into uh you know games workshop lines um the amount that right now the company is able to support these lines is really going to be the question um sure their share price has gone up quite a bit but one of the big things about games workshop has always been that they pay a pretty healthy dividend um they do invest in their own company but they are, they, they really do share or not share, but they pay out, you know, their, uh, you know, their net cash flow to their shareholders. So they actually have a very high yielding stock. And so they're, they're going to get into a crunch where they may need to invest in their company and, you know, grow their capacity to support these games and to manufacture what, what the demand is. Um, and, you know, so they, they, the, I mean, I'm not the guy running the business. I don't actually know how much they look at reinvesting in their in their business. Hopefully they're looking at expanding their capacity right now in a big way so that they can actually keep these games supported. Because they've done the right thing. Remember when I was saying about the um uh making sure that the 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 the, the tastemakers and influencers out there are giving, you know, not necessarily positive consideration, but have the opportunity to give positive consideration at Games Workshop games. ShadeSpire uh was said to be a very good game by all the right outlets people who normally don't touch games workshop products were looking at and reviewing shadespire and so maybe that will be uh, a game that games workshop can sell quite sustainably to you know the card shop crowd yeah um and and get them and get them playing with some toys and thinking hey these minis are cool uh and then they see one guy who's a nerd who learned how to you know, uh, base coat and highlight and say, why do your guys look so cool? And they'd be like, Oh, you can paint them. Didn't you, Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and
2: off you go. <laughs> boom. The rest is history. Okay. Yeah. It... Oh, thank you very much, Val. That was um there was definitely a lot more than I think the listeners um expected, but I think it was also really good. A lot of really good talk there. Um
1: so... more than they want to. I don't know.
2: Oh maybe we'll they wanted it. it. I don't know. Let me know guys. Uh email me Frontline gaming pdpab at gmail.com uh, I'm always I'm always love hearing you guys reading what you guys say uh, critiques constructive criticism laughs whatever I, I love hearing what you guys say and val if you want to message val if you want if you want to give him a shout out if you want to say you really liked him or you really don't like him or anything you can email me tell me all that stuff I love having conversations
1: but Val Heffelfinger on Facebook he's also yeah. Val
2: Heffelfinger on Facebook if you want to know how to spell Heffelfinger, um it's Heffel and then Finger. It's very easy. I promise. It's <laughs> um very tricky. <laughs> uh anyways, Val, so that that's gonna be pretty much it. Um thank you very much for being a co host on this show. I really look forward to having you and I look forward to a good two thousand eighteen. Val, is there anything else you wanna to say to the listeners? Any last words?
1: Um, first of all, uh, I, I just want to say, uh, how cool it is to be able to, to talk to people about this and share some of my ideas and hopefully, uh, you know, pick up some new ones and how cool it is to be able to be on a podcast with you, uh, uh, Jeff and, uh, Sean. Correct? Who's yes. Abuse Puppy? What right yes. about that? Abuse Puppy. So. These are guys who I've you know viewed from afar and 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 uh, listened to and read and uh you know been impressed by, and like are actual legitimate names in in 40k. If you've happened to read one of the few articles I've read or the comments I've made or the podcasts that I've been on, cool, but nothing like those guys, or you, Pablo, or the front lines, so it's it's cool to um, be able to hang out and hopefully, like I said, give some insights and and, and uh, help people get better at uh, 40k. Right on. I know that being a part of this will hopefully lead to me being better at 40K, because I need that.
2: That's that's the goal. I th- I, that's the goal. We're all going to get at 40K, and then we're just going to dominate a tournament. And then, boom. That's it. That's the whole plan. And then once we do that, chapter tactics is over. Once, once That's we right. And,
1: game and over. I hope people are looking forward to I got a big new st- data set from uh, our oh, friends I'm at excited. Uh So uh, I think uh, in the next week or so, we're going to start going deep on some, very, um, um, I'd say, much more uh, detailed set of, num- of of statistics and data and it's going to be a lot of fun uh leading into the lvo doing some uh, hype shows about that
2: yeah so thank you very much val once again you guys have one more co-host to listen to before the end of the episode and that's going to be abuse puppy right after this have a good one are you looking to promote your event or 40k related product to an audience of like-minded gamers try out a sponsorship with chapter tactics for an average industry rate you can have your tournament convention or unique product advertised here in this time slot if you or someone you know is interested please email me at frontline gaming at gmail.com once again that's frontline gaming p-e-t-e-y p-a-b at gmail.com and thank you very much for your consideration. Hello, everyone. Here we are, back with my final co-host, Mr. Abuse Puppy himself, uh, or Sean, uh, Abuse Puppy. Uh, I'm not exactly sure who, what your preferred monitor, moniker is, uh, but say hi to everyone.
0: Hello, everyone. I kind of go by both Sean and Abuse Puppy Abuse uh, Puppy. Alternatively, but on the internet usually abuse puppy.
2: Okay, abuse puppy for the podcast it is. If anything, just to bring up that question, who who is this poor abused puppy talking oh, about marketing
0: tactics? That is a long involved story involving an old shitty writing project from like nineteen ninety eight. Uh suffice to say that the the abused puppy is essentially me.
2: Okay. That's very very interesting. You know, I was uh, my old old email back in um, middle school was doomed guy. Um, oh wow. Yeah, and, and I I I think obviously probably not nearly as deep as abuse puppy, but basically <laughs> I just figured I was just this lost soul who was always you, you know getting into accidents and getting into trouble. So mm-hmm. A- anyways, I think
0: everyone has an had embarrassing like that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly
2: embarrassing, yeah thing from back in the day. But you you took it and you ran with it and you've written hey over i th- i think over a 1000 articles on frontline gaming it- it's a lot it's it's uh, I don't hundred. even
0: know it's it's quite a few yeah, it- yeah. It-
2: and you're actually on a bit of an eldar kick right now um so if you guys are interested
0: yeah.
2: real quick if you go to frontlinegaming.org abuse puppy writes a ton of articles for us they're all tactics articles um and if you've read them before and you're listening to this maybe you want to hear abuse puppy talk about himself so what what are you all about, Sean? What what's your deal?
0: Who are you? Well, uh, you know, I've been playing 40k for quite a while here, and I've kind of bounced between different aspects in different ways. But I've always been a quite a big gamer, and so I got drawn into the hobby quite a while ago, and I've really never really fallen out of it.
2: Okay, and what got you into warmer 40k?
0: Honestly, I don't even remember at this point. I was like 11 when I started playing, and I think I just picked up some models with a friend, and we thought they looked neat. I already played Battletech and some other games like that, so it was a pretty easy step from there into Warhammer.
2: Nice. Nice. So uh, Battletech, wow. Um, yeah. So uh, you you obviously... I, I know you play other games other than 40K. Um. So what's your kind of... Philosophy as a gamer, right? There, there are competitive players. There are people who who like doing things for the fun of it, teamwork. You know, what's your gaming philosophy?
0: I think in the the most general sense, I think it's worth exploring every part of the hobby. There's things to enjoy about everything. You know, you can have fun competitively. You can have fun narratively. You can have a lot of fun converting models painting things up there's no reason to limit yourself uh but that said i think the part i'm best at is probably competitive play i'm not a great painter i'm an okay converter but i have a lot of fun sort of using my ability to uh to analyze and explore parts of the game and maybe teach people something they don't realize
2: okay what armies do you play
0: Uh, I'm mostly Eldar these days, as you kind of mentioned, I'm on an Eldar kick, uh, but Tau were sort of my first love, and I've got a pretty good-sized Emperor's Children force that I play on and off.
2: Okay, uh, now, before we go on to the 2018 stuff, um, one thing that I know a lot of people notice about you, and one one of the reasons why I brought you onto the show as a co-host, and why I feel like you're a really strong co-host, is, uh, your ability to analyze and, and break down rules and and really just not miss anything about the game part of uh 40k uh right as as i i believe jeff said jeff said it best earlier in the podcast um that you that you are you're the guy to talk to when it when it comes to rules questions and all that like you don't want to talk to him or me or val like you're the guy um what yeah okay
0: i mean (laughs) go
2: ahead oh i was gonna (laughs) say what brought that about
0: It's, I don't know, I think maybe partly it comes from my experience with a lot of other games. I play role-playing games, computer games, other tabletop and board games. I just have a lot of experience in that respect, and I spend a lot of time studying the game. I'm not sure I could call it, like, uh, a truly unique talent, but the more time you spend reading about the game, the more time you spend reading codexes and rule books and all of that, the better you're going to get at it.
2: Right, right on. Well, I, I... I think that it's a it's definitely a talent you can pick up, and it's definitely a very important talent if you want to do really well at the highest level. Um, For sure. And and I feel like you're probably one of the best. Um, Maybe maybe not. Maybe your luck or maybe other aspects of your game aren't aren't to par. But rules, knowing rules and and knowledge, game knowledge are not definitely not your weakness. Um,
0: I like to think I'm pretty good at it. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So role playing games. Do you, do you play D&D, yeah. Pathfinder?
0: Um uh, uh, D&D sometimes, Pathfinder once in a while, but also Shadowrun, World of Darkness, all nice. sorts of obscure indie games.
2: Okay, I, I played um oh, what was it, in back in high school Gerbils? Ger- Gurps. Uh, Gurps. Thank
0: Generic you. Universal Role Playing System.
2: That's what I played Gurps with my math teacher and oh, it nice. was it was the most fun I'd ever had playing at school, role-playing.
0: Yeah. So that no, cool. I think they can be a lot of fun, and that's you know, that's kind of... They cross over with 40K in a lot of ways. If folks don't know, there are several 40K role-playing games.
2: There are. Uh, there's Her- Dark Heresy. Uh, there's Black Crusade. Mm-hmm. Death Watch. And that's it. That's all I know.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there's also Rogue Traitor, Rogue and Traitor. there's an Imperial Guard one, the name of which escapes me right now, but isn't, it's pretty good. Isn't,
2: isn't Talisman... Or is that just a FFG game?
0: It is an FFG game. There is a 40K version of Talisman called Relic.
2: Relic. That's what it is. But that's yeah, not it's a role board game. game. That's a board
0: game. No, not really. It sort of bridges the gap there, but it, it is a board game rather than a role-playing game.
2: Interesting. Well, I'm I'm glad I brought you on. You know, I think I'm just going to have you on, and I'm just going to ask you random questions about games. Um, I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to be like, hey. No. Uh, Abuse Puppy. Here to oblige. <laughs> well, um, what's the latest Star Wars RPG game?
0: <laughs> we've actually been playing that with my group recently. Uh, they've released a some beta version stuff of it, and we've been messing around, because a lot of my friends back Kickstarters and, you know, are in on beta testing and stuff like that. So I get previews of a lot of those kind of games. I
2: knew it. I sh- uh, anyways, you're, you're our RPG guy, Abuse Puppy. Dude, yeah. Stamp. Boom. Anyways... Moving on to the 2018 season, but before we, we talk about that, um, what editions of 40K have you played through?
0: I started in like mid-early 2nd edition, like wow. I said, when I was like 10 or 11. Um, didn't have any clue what I was doing, obviously. We're, the first game of 40K I played was on my friend's patio on what must have been a 40-foot by 20-foot battle map. Uh, and we were extremely confused as to why none of our guns were in range, except for my one basilisk. <laughs> uh, that basilisk won me the game, by the way, because it sort of <laughs> shot every turn for, like, 11 turns, because we also were just sort of like, game ends on turn 5, no way, we're going to keep playing. Let's see, you guys
2: played, your first game was an APOC game, um, which is not a good no. first game for new players.
0: <laughs> not, not even really APOC, because we only had about, you know, seven hundred fifty, thousand points each. Um, it was, it was a mess is what it was. But yeah, I started back then, I played up until like just about the beginning of third, uh and kind of fell out of the game for a while. Didn't pick it back up again until late 4th edition, and really the beginning of 5th edition was where I started playing again for real. And I've been playing pretty much continuously ever since then.
2: Okay, and I'm sure you, you've you either mentioned this a lot or you've been asked this a lot, but what's your favorite edition of 40K?
0: At this point, I think I've got to say 8th edition. Um, for For all the complaints I may have about it, Games Workshop has really done a good job of kind of refining the system and improving some things there's still obviously stuff i'd like them to change but the missions are better the rules are better the game is more accessible i think it's hard not to call eighth edition the best edition yet
2: okay nice that's that's um so far that that's uh mirrored what the co-hosts have gone through uh said but um so what's what's your opinion so i obviously you like 8th edition and um it's your mm-hmm. favorite edition but w- what do you think what do you think makes it the best edition like what's your opinion on on it specifically why does it tick
0: uh i think the two big things that really make 8th edition work are Uh, one, that the rules are sort of more balanced and accessible than ever before. When you have these data sheets that contain all of a unit's rules and most all of the weapon profiles, bar a couple weird upgrade options, um, you have a game that is just more playable for people in general. Uh, And to go along with that, Games Workshop has started thinking about making the game more accessible and working towards that. So they've pared down a lot of the weird nested exceptions to rules. They've added all of these features that make the game simpler to play. They've removed some of the things that were needlessly complex. Like, you know, a big stumbling block for a lot of starting players was always the weapon and ballistic skill charts. And that's just gone entirely now. And I think that's really indicative of the way they've designed 8th Edition.
2: Uh, I was talking about, with Jeff, did you ever play video games, a lot of video games? Abuse oh, yes. Oh, great. Um, were you really into uh, first-person shooters?
0: To a degree. I was never good at them, but okay. I played quite a bit of Doom and Quake back in the day.
2: Okay, well, I think we'll go with a game that, that I think that's more your style. Um, Did you ever play the Elder Scroll series? Oh, yes. Okay, um, the Jeff and I were talking about this phenomenon... Um, that I think Seb, that uh, GW took with, with the relationship between seventh and eighth edition and how they've changed. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I attributed it to Halo Two versus Halo Three, and I think this you can draw parallels to yeah. Oblivion and Skyrim in that Oblivion, in a sense, it, it's you know, it's very hard on the edges, very glitchy, um, but mm-hmm. it's also it's very you know um, pro friendly, uh, like modder friendly. You, you know, it's very it's very easy to break. Um, sure and, and you know it's just it's more cut and you, you know it's oblivion but Skyrim on the other hand is um as the term I used uh, was new or or um, definitely more user-friendly visually obviously more amazing Um, but yeah. maybe lacking in depth a little bit or maybe a little oversimplified um, for a broader audience but I feel like that's kind of how 8th edition and 7th edition were
0: um, yeah you're not you're not wrong there because like It is kind of, you know, there are some of the quote-unquote pros are are big fans of the older version, Oblivion or 7th edition, and it has a lot to offer them. There's a lot of uh, depth that you can explore there and ways that you can break it that may not be obvious at first glance. But the newer version, Skyrim or 8th edition in our metaphor, um, is just a more playable game for a lot of people.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you you know, uh, as much as I like getting my acrobatics up to a thousand and jumping off the throat <laughs> of the world, landing into town and slaughtering a bunch of people as a vampire, um, I don't think that's fun for everyone. Um,
0: <laughs> no, and it it requires it requires that you dive in the deep end of the pool, yes. which was what a lot of people struggled with in seventh edition. Is if. If you weren't someone like me who had read every codex, knew every supplement, dug through everything time and time again, and knew all the weird exploits and glitches in the system, you were in trouble.
2: Absolutely. Um, Now, what are your predictions for the direction of 8th edition? Where is GW taking this new edition in 2018?
0: I think we've started to get an indication from the books that have already been released uh, in 8th edition of what the rest of the edition is going to look like. We kind of know, like, each faction is going to get this bonus. You get a sub-faction bonus that you pick. You have a set of stratagems that kind of follow this mold that we're aware of. Um, so I think we have a, a pretty strong picture there. I think what they're going to try and do is hammer out all the rest of the codices in this mold. Um that we're all pretty familiar with at this point. And then they're going to do sort of what they did in 7th edition, is they're going to go back and sort of release some supplements, put some add-ons in, start get working on more models, because we're seeing this with the Demon Codex, is like, oh, they're actually releasing some new models. They haven't really done that yet up until this point. So I think that'll it it is going to be kind of rules first, models second. Uh, approach to 8th edition. And they're well through the rule set, so it's not going to be that much longer before I think we'll start seeing a big set of releases of models.
2: Absolutely. How many Primarchs do you think we're going to get?
0: That's a real tough call. Uh, If you'd asked me a year or two ago, I would have said zero. (laughs) Now, I mean, I wouldn't be too surprised to see... You know, another loyalist Primarch and another demon Primarch every year. They're big sellers. They make good money, and people like the kits.
2: Yeah, and the rules are—I um, mean, they're—they're they're kind of—they're—I don't want to say they're refreshing, um, because I feel like uh, they are very powerful. Um, but
0: they're—they're
2: yeah. game. They're centralizing, right? Which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Um, but it's, no. it's different. I—I I, I can't. It's eighth edition is definitely Primark 40k. Where you know, whereas seventh edition was Magnus forty K or Magnus and Inari forty K towards the end. Um eighth edition definitely feels like like uh it's more Primark forty K focused. Um The Primarchs are
0: so powerful it's yeah. hard for them not to be relevant. Yes. But that said, they're also not always the ones who are winning tournaments. So we'll see.
2: Yeah, if if they do a really good job of um, balancing them out uh mm-hmm. i think the gilliman uh, the gilliman increase points increase was was justified um but if they do a yeah. really good job with balancing them out points wise and with the with the updating the points um i think i think that primarchs you know have a very good spot they they fill they fill a, a niche you know they they kind of bridge the gap between apoc and standard ter- game play um yeah in, in that they're these big models uh that are cool you can run or build your army around um but they're not apoc models so that you know they don't mm-hmm. absolutely take over a game um or when you die you, you know they're not so bad that when they die you just you feel like you've lost the game but they're they're yeah. a healthy balance so we'll 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 see how it goes um is there any last words you want to say about eighth edition anything you want to tell gw
0: Honestly, if I were to be able to speak directly to the spirit of GW at this point, I would say keep going the direction you're going. It's clearly working. People are getting back into the hobby. Uh Like you talked about a lot in your uh episode with uh Val, just the numbers are up all across the board. People are coming back to the hobby in droves. It, what you're doing is good. Keep going that direction. It's not perfect yet, but you at least have a clear path.
2: Nice. All right, man. Well, uh, Sean, Abuse Puppy, thank you so much for doing this interview with me, and thank you very much for being a co-host on my podcast. You are the man. No problem.
0: I'm looking forward to being here.
2: Is there any final words you want to tell the listeners?
0: Read your damn books. That is how you will get good at the game. Play games, read books.
2: Perfect. We're going to end on that note. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. This has been Chapter Tactics. Have a good one.